Good afternoon, Seven Investors, and welcome to the post-Easter edition of Seven Investing Now. My name, of course, is Daniel Brooks Klein. I'm being joined today by Max Chatsko, and we are going to talk all sorts of biotech science. But before we do that, Max, how was your Easter? Uh, it was good. I didn't really do much. And, you know, it's funny, in the Slack channel on for Seven Investing, everyone's posting pictures of their kids and their families and... Uh, I pretty much stayed inside and didn't do much all weekend. So that was my Easter, Dan. Well, had it been a normal year, we certainly, somebody would have invited you on, on the team. But uh, <laughs> Max Max is still not vaccinated, so he's not welcome in anybody's house just about yet. But here's the situation. So I inadvertently ended up at an Easter brunch. We we had to kill time. My wife and son were getting their second shot, had to check out of our hotel at 10. We're, we were looking at a resort property near where we have a vacation place now. Uh, so we needed time to kill. I booked a breakfast. Turned out it was an Easter brunch. And I realized, Max, that I approach brunch or buffets or whatever you want to call them the way I do finances. So I went high value first. You got you to load up on the lamb and the crab claws and the shrimp cocktail. You know, avoid the rolls. Like there's a lot of pitfalls in a buffet. You know, you could fall for a waffle. I love a waffle. Everyone loves a waffle. You put whipped cream on it, chocolate chips. But it's still a mistake on a buffet where there are higher value items. So I got my money's worth. I don't think my wife and son did. Uh, but next year, hopefully, will be a normal Easter. We're going to talk Nano X in a second. Uh, I hope I'm saying that correctly. It's a, I actually think I've ever heard it out loud before. But before we do that, we, of course, welcome your questions and comments. We're going to do a, a question and comment section, probably just a brief one, towards <laughs> the end of the show. So more than happy uh, to take those questions and comments. But in our top story, we've got NanoX. They've gotten an important FDA clearance. Aren't all FDA clearances important? Max Chasco, what happened? Yeah, so when you have a medical device, you have to get, usually you have to get uh, clearance. There is a category you can get approvals for. And for a drug, you have to get approval. So it's a little more, uh, it's it's stricter, right? There's more data that you need to get through on clinical trials. Often not the case for medical devices. So for NanoX Imaging, it just announced over the weekend that the FDA has cleared its first system. It's called the Single Source NanoArc system. Uh, so this is going to be used for something called tomosynthesis, which is uh, uh, basically a way to detect malignancies in tissues. So, so this is like how we, uh, one of the first steps we use to diagnose breast cancer, for instance. Um, so the FDA cleared that device. And uh, this is actually a pretty big, important regulatory milestone for NanoX Imaging, as you can imagine, Dan. Um, but more so because in recent months, the company's been going back and forth with regulators. Uh, it submitted some applications and the FDA came back and said, we want more data. And then it would go and make those changes. And then the FDA wanted more data. So it was kind of frustrating. It actually forced the company to uh, delay some of its commercialization timelines from its initial expectations already. Uh, but now that it has this first clearance, that's certainly a good sign uh, for the company and for shareholders. And this does a clearance mean they can sell the device? Yes and no. So yes, it's going to be. <laughs> it's ready to uh, to be marketed, but NanoX Imaging hasn't actually manufactured any of these devices yet, so that's going to take some time. Uh, and importantly, I mean, one of the key things for investing in NanoX Imaging is its business model, right? So it's medical services as a uh, as a or medical. I don't remember what the MS. It's the MSAS business model. I just wrote about this, so I forget. I apologize, but uh, no they're going to earn revenue from um, kind of like subscriptions, like a pay-as-you-go model, right? So they're going to get revenue from like per scan. 
uh, rather than just selling each machine and getting a one-time you know, uh, revenue event. Uh, so that's pretty novel. It's pretty interesting. Uh, and it has to do with the form factor of the machines. Um, you know, they're smaller. They can be lower cost. The images and the scans can be lower cost. Uh, so this is good. This can be a very widely distributed platform. Um, but the company still has to earn clearance for the Nano Cloud product, which is the software system. Uh, so that is supposed to be submitted to the FDA sometime before the end of 2021. But the company does expect to sell it and ship its first 1,000 machines, which would be the machines that just got cleared by the FDA over the weekend, uh, before the end of the first quarter of 2022. So within 12 months, one year from today, if everything goes well, the company should have shipped its first 1,000 machines. So, Max, the stock is up something like was up like 40 percent when I looked uh, over the weekend. Uh, that can often change. I didn't I didn't take a snapshot before we got on the air. But this is really like what, like second inning in a nine inning game? Like this is still very early and it's still a very risky company. Is that a reasonable way to look at it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like we said, it didn't hasn't manufactured any of these uh, devices or systems yet. So, you know, that's obviously a risk. And and it has partners. I mean, it's, it's partnered with, you know, South Korean manufacturing leaders, uh, Foxconn in China. Uh, so it has made, uh, you know, methodical partnerships in order to navigate some of those risks for scale up, but it's never trivial. Um, you know, there are going to be some delays and bottlenecks inevitably. And, and because this is a volatile stock, you know, I'm not saying that the scare investors, but you know, um, if it, if manufacturing delays anything by a couple of weeks or months, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, that might not be a big deal, but maybe just expect that to happen. Additionally, the system that just got cleared over the weekend, isn't the system that nano X imaging intends to use as its commercial system. Kind of confusing, but the company has. <laughs> so the one that got cleared is called the single source nano arc. Uh, so that uses just one version of the digital X-ray uh, technology that the company's pioneered. But it's going to use a multi-source nano arc as its commercial system. So that, along with the nano cloud software product, uh, are going to be filed with uh, with the FDA for approval before the end of 2021. So. The end goal is that the system that just got cleared today is eventually going to be maybe licensed out to a partner. Maybe they'll have a different business model there with, you know, collecting royalties or licenses or some combination of those two. And, you know, it's it's the business model is using the NSAS business model uh, is going to be a combination of the cloud product and then the multi-source nano arc system, which has yet to be uh, cleared by the FDA. So let's talk a little bit investing lesson here. And uh, Mike Fee, Lauren Noble, we really appreciate your comments. The investing lesson here is stocks tend to pop on very small pieces of news. Now, this is a, a big piece of news for this company, but it's not the giant news. This isn't the, the one that takes them over the top. And we'll see this with just about anything. You know, a, a big tech company reports encouraging numbers, but some analyst doesn't see them as encouraging enough and the stock is down. This is a hard, concrete piece of news, but it doesn't guarantee success for NanoX. It doesn't mean this is going to be the next, you know, hundred billion dollar company. Max, I'll give you the last word. Any any words of warning? We appreciate Mike Fee saying, you know, you know, to to, to not hype this stock. We're not hyping the stock. We're covering the news as it happens, and we're giving you the appropriate level of warning because this is a risky investment. Yeah, I appreciate that comment from the top of the show, Mike. Um, you know, I always try to be very balanced, right? Every company you look at, every investment you make, there's challenges and there's opportunities. And I think in, in this environment that we're in, a lot of people tend to only focus on the opportunities and not the challenges. So uh, again, with NanoX, um, 
you know, they still have to, they face, I guess the way to look at it is this is one regulatory risk that's been uh, kind of, you know, brushed aside. Now it's, it's no longer a risk, but there's still commercial risks and challenges and opportunities there. Right. Um, so they still have to, you know, scale up manufacturing. They still have to get clearance for their cloud product and they take clearance for their multi-source system, which is what they intend to use commercially. Uh, so the system that was approved isn't even in their long-term plans really. Um, so just keep that in mind. This is, this is a, a solid development for investors in the company, but like you said, it's, it's still very early uh, in this, this business's trajectory, Dan. You're going to have time later in the show to ask your questions and your comments. Uh, they can be about biotech. They can be about retail. They can be about investing in general. In a second, we're going to talk about two very different companies in what we're watching. We're talking about Nike. We're going to talk about Invitae. Um, but before we do that, Max, it's the 5th of the month. On April 1st, our new picks came out at 7investing. Each of us picks our highest conviction stock each month, and we write up a really large report. Max makes those look really nice on the website. We do a, a slide deck that we present to other members uh, and uh, to other lead advisors, and that gets videotaped. That comes out on the 8th, where you can actually watch each of us spend about a half hour doing a real deep dive into why we picked the stock with other people firing back questions at us, sometimes making us go back and do research uh, on why we picked it hasn't made anyone change their mind yet but certainly has made us uh, you know understand the bear case max how do people get access to our not just our april picks but all our picks our members only calls all the great paywalled content we have at seven investing yeah so uh let me give out simon erickson's cell phone number it's um no i'm just kidding if you go to seveninvesting.com slash subscribe uh 17 a month 170 dollars a year you can see all of our picks, our recommendations. So you get those reports, like Dan said. You get to come to subscriber-only calls in the middle of the month. Ask us directly questions behind the, uh, I don't know, screen. Like we're, it's, it's only for members, right? Um, and we also provide continuous coverage of all of our past recommendations. Uh, so if there's a material development from one of our recommendations, we publish a company update for members only as well. Um, so you know we're, we're right there with you the whole time because we're long-term investors. So these are going to be uh, with us and on our scorecards for a long time. We're going to move to what we're watching. So, Max, do you wear Nike sneakers? Uh, I don't have like a, I'm not like a shoe dog or anything, but I, yeah, I, I've worn them before. I don't like seek them out though. So I wear a lot of Nike t-shirts. I own some Nike sneakers uh, and almost all of my Nike products I've purchased from the Nike outlet, which is literally across the street from where I live right now. But many people bought Nikes wherever they happen to be. And Nike's actually decided that's not going to be the case anymore. So they've had two waves of getting rid of uh, retail partners. Uh, so, you know, they're calling it anybody that has an undifferentiated Nike experience, meaning you walk into the store and, you know, Nikes are just sitting there on the shelf. Uh, they're going to get rid of you. So last August, they got rid of Belk, Dillard's, Zappos, Boscov's, Bob Stores, Fred Meyer, Eblins, Vim, and City Blue. Not a murderer's row of retailers but still an awful lot of distribution. Most recently, they got rid of DSW. DSW is a, a major shoe chain. Urban Outfitters, certainly uh, appealing to a certain audience. Uh, Macy's, uh, they'll still be Nike at the finish line inside Macy's for ones that have those. Uh, they also got rid of Big Five, never heard of that one. Olympia Sports, Dunham's, and Shoe Show. So Max, why are they doing this? They're doing this because they want to control the brand experience. So if you go into a dedicated sneaker store that's hyping up Nike, that's a, that's a great experience. They can do shoe drops. They can do release parties, all sorts of stuff there. 
that doesn't really work with the Kohl's or the Macy's business model uh, where they're just kind of on the shelf. So what does Nike want to do? They're going to launch about two to 300 of their own stores. Uh, so, you know, small format, really interactive, fun. You'll probably be able to do the thing you do at New Balance where, you know, you can test your fit and run on a treadmill. That was awful. I did that. It was not fun to watch myself running. Um, and they get you the perfect fit. You know, they can do the release parties, the lineup at midnight. But they're also doubling down on their direct-to-consumer channel. They want to see more shoes get ordered through their sneakers app. Uh, and that means my son, who is a sneakerhead to a sense, uh, who follows these things, has me at like 8 in the morning logging on and trying to get, you know, and he wears a 9.5, which is a really, really common size. So they're often sold out. So this is really about Nike taking control. This is a trend to watch in retail. And I brought this up today because Simon Erickson and I are going to tape tomorrow a podcast uh, where we really dig into, it's not just Nike do, doing this. Adidas is doing this. Under Armour is doing this. This is somewhat the Lululemon business model where they are not distributing into other stores. And then you're also seeing direct-to-consumer brands move into stores. If you go to a Target right now, you can buy both Harry's and Dollar Shave Club. For a while, you could buy Quip, the toothbrush. I don't know if they're out of stock or simply that deal is over. So you're seeing this very strange retail world where pure digital brands are going into physical stores and previously retail brands are pulling out of some physical stores. So it's a massive change in retail and we're going to be following that very, very aggressively. I see a bunch of you have comments and questions in. Please keep them coming. Uh, but Max, we had some other giant news on a well-followed, uh, I, I guess, a genetic testing leader, and that is SoftBank, SoftBank of Sprint and many other botched investment fame. Uh, uh, WeWork, uh, SoftBank has not had a great run recently with its investing arm, uh, but they've invested $1.15 billion, that's with a B, into genetic testing leader Invitae. Uh, do you want to go through and explain to us what happened here? Yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, you know, SoftBank is uh, the Vision Fund usually invests in privately held company startups, right? Um, and uh, recently, though, we've seen it kind of take stakes in publicly traded companies, which is a, a little bit different for SoftBank. Um, but um, so recently, we saw it invest $900 million in Pacific Biosciences. So that's a DNA sequencing company. Um, and now it's taking $1.15 billion uh, stake through convertible debt, we should say, um, in Invitae. So um, it's interesting to see that. And Invitae is one of these fast growing leaders in genetic testing. Um, you know, it ended last year. I have to write these numbers down because there's a lot happening at Invitae. It ended 2020 with $350 million in cash. Uh, a couple weeks ago or months, I guess now, uh, it raised $460 million in gross proceeds. Then now it just announced $1.15 billion investment from SoftBank. So um, without accounting for cash burn from the first quarter, you know, the company has you know, at least one and a half billion dollars in cash, two billion dollars in cash right now, um, which is going to plow into acquisitions, scaling its platform. Um, you know, so this is a really big shot in the arm for Invitae. Max, do they need this much money? Yeah, you know, uh, so we see this a lot, right? A lot of a lot of investors ask questions about genetic testing, right? And they say, well, isn't this just going to be a commodity eventually? Like costs are going low, anybody can do it. And yes, you're right; it will become a commodity in a way. Uh, and that's also kind of the point, right? To make it accessible to everybody and grow and expand the market. But something that I've come to learn is that, you know, you're going to succeed in genetic testing through scale. Um, so the barriers to entry for genetic testing are very low, but the barriers to success in genetic testing are very high. Uh, so if you're making investments in this space, you need to optimize for the latter. There's going to be multiple winners, 
Um, you know, but those winners are going to be the ones that scale uh, and do so, you know, very rapidly and also are, are you know, forward thinking, right? Invitate trying to build this end to end platform. Uh, it wants to have like a subscription service one day where it's not just you go through your doctor to get your genome sequenced or, or some genetic test for some part of your genome, uh, but rather it's more of this continuous, you know, um, uh, relationship um, with the genetic testing and, and some interactions with your genome, so more proactive healthcare. Uh, than what we have today. Max, how vulnerable are they, though, to one well-funded competitor coming along and sort of just, you know, it only takes two for it to become a commodity. Even even in a space like, say, you know, wireless uh, phones where there are three players, we there are some price limits because there is competition. Do And, and there's probably been some collusion there that's not so, so <laughs> you know, acceptable. Uh, is this something where their entire pricing structure could be challenged? Well, no. So for this, you have to go down in cost. Uh, so that's kind of the race now, right? How they're, they're kind of competing on who can offer like the lowest cost tests uh, that are also the highest quality. So there's already multiple uh, large companies here, right? There's Myriad Genetics, although they've kind of stumbled uh, given their history. Uh, but there's others, Exact Sciences kind of has some similar uh, tests in certain areas. Um, you know, there's Color Genomics. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different companies here. Um, so it's already there's already a lot of competitors and there's going to be multiple winners. So uh, I don't think Invitae is really under too much pressure or threats. The one thing though is, you know, it's pursued this growth at all cost business model where it's just like, ah, eh, we're going to burn $300 million this year. And, you know, operating losses are going to be that high every year. And I've always kind of, that never makes me feel great. I don't like that business model, but in, in this environment, when the cost of capital is so low and interest rates are near zero, there's almost no penalty to doing it. So it makes sense. It's almost like, um, financial markets have moved towards, you know, Invitae's business model and how it's pursuing that. So, um, you know, off to the races, keep making acquisitions, keep expanding the platform. There's, there's no penalty for doing that right now. We've got a question here from Sandeep David, more of a comment. If you want to pull that up, Sam Bailey, the pricing of the convertible debt was unfavorable to current shareholders as the conversion prices where the stock was trading at a few weeks ago. Uh, pretty dilutive. Well, selling a billion point five uh, or billion point one in new shares, no matter what the price but generally pricing is set a few weeks before. Is this something that worries you, Max, or is it just better that they have the cash on hand? Yeah, I would not see this as a major concern. I don't think the debt comes due until 2028. So by then, I mean, what could the market valuation for the company be? You know, $1 billion then might be a relatively insignificant, uh, um, you know, amount of money or dilution. The company could raise new debt in 2028 to pay off the old debt or come to some other arrangement with SoftBank. Um, so I think that's a pretty distant concern. Definitely something, you know, you got to look at those details for these types of deals. But uh, for this specific instance, uh, I don't think that's much of a concern. And by 2028, we'll be taking uh, sidewalk genetic tests <laughs> as we walk into Whole Foods to know what we should be shopping for. I'm teasing a little bit, but I do think genetic testing is going to become a bigger part of the healthcare picture. Uh, you know, and we're just going to know a lot more about what's coming and sort of preventative, what we should be doing. Max and I had a, a very funny conversation on Slack all weekend about Brazil nuts, which apparently uh, I should be eating Brazil nuts occasionally because they have selenium in them. I've never heard of that before. But if you store it incorrectly, they can taste terrible. So I am learning all sorts about what I should be doing. We're going to move into the home stretch here and take some of your questions. Uh, so got a question, uh, is your Nike outlet a Simon property? Yeah, it is. Uh, Simon, uh, not our own Simon Erickson, Simon, the uh, the outlet company. 
has done a really good job uh, with how they've handled their outdoor outlets. I, I think they're actually going to come out of the pandemic stronger as much as A-tier malls are going to do well. And we're going to talk about this later this week on the podcast with our own Simon Erickson. Uh, I do think more of the country likes the idea of not being in a crowded enclosure. I think there's going to be some hangover from the pandemic. Um a bit of a procedural question or comment from Mike Fee here. Thanks for discussing. Uh, I was watching this company closely and glad you guys are doing a deep dive. That is not the one I meant to take. I meant to take the next one, Sam. Uh, glad you discussed the company and not the stock trying to place a price target. Uh, thank you. You guys are doing great. Yeah, We don't place price targets. I think it's important to realize when we buy a company, we do do a section on valuation. And valuation is a problem on some of these biotech companies. But when I look at a company, and Max, you can jump in in a second here. I look and say, what is the road ahead? So you might look at Apple and say, okay, they're going to flame out in healthcare. I don't believe they're going to be a big player there. So I don't think there's that much growth they can have. That's a credible argument. I would argue that they're going to add a trillion dollars in healthcare sales and probably another half half trillion in services and other items. They might even move to a subscription model for some of their hardware, like Microsoft has essentially done with the Xbox. So it really is not where the company is now. It's where do you think the company can get? Max Chatsko, your thoughts there. Yeah, exactly. That's why we don't place price targets on things. We're looking at the long term. And, you know, in biotech, in my area here, um, you know, the market tends to be inefficient in how it prices these companies, right? Um, usually we wait for these big events, you know, clinical results or, or getting regulatory clearance or something to price that into a company. And it makes sense in some level to do that. Um, but because, you know, Dan, how many times have you seen like maybe a biotech company jump like 80% or something in a day? It's because that's not really effectively priced in leading up to that event. We kind of wait and see and we treat these as binary events. But there's ways to kind of see and put the pieces together and constrain risks ahead of those events uh, so you can make a little bit better investing decisions. And now I think in this current market um, and because of the pandemic, I, I think there's this like expectation that we've solved health. And, you know, biology is just so easy now and we're just going to cure all the things. So there's like on the other end, I think it's inefficiently priced because a lot of biotech companies are uh, overvalued. Right. So um, investors do have to be careful here and, and think about valuations. Um, you know, and, and again, it, it depends on the long term time horizon. But if you buy two, you can overpay for growth or a good business. And then you're just going to be sitting on some company and, and maybe not have any returns or have to wait a very, very long time to get any returns. So uh, you do have to think about all of these aspects. Smaller, more speculative companies are also open to these giant moves. So, you know, not that we're generally buying shares of companies that are, you know, trading below $10, but there are some good companies that, that we do own in that space. And sometimes news will come out or a quarterly report will come out that doesn't actually move the goalpost. It doesn't actually prove anything as to whether the company will succeed or fail. And you'll see a giant overreaction to that in one way or the other. So with any of these companies, I would expect a roller coaster. I would expect 20% gains on really thin news. I would expect 20% drops on equally thin news. You really have to focus on it. When you read one of Max's reports, what is he telling you the underlying story is? And that's what you want to see play out. It is not important, you know, when you're watching a, a romantic comedy, if the couple has a fight, of course they're going to have a fight. What's important is in that last scene, as they're, you know, both racing to the altar or meeting at the top of the Empire State Building or whatever it is, do they actually come together and does the story play out? That is a very strange analogy, but it has been a very strange weekend. Dan, I like uh, it. Well, yeah, <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, you know, some picks on my scorecard are down, some are up. 
uh, by double digits. And it's like, you know, they haven't reached any of their milestones yet, right? So in my mind, both of those are relevant, whether they're up or down until they reach those milestones. So, you know, for NanoX Imaging, even after today's pop, it's only valued at $2 billion. So it's going to be a volatile stock, especially it's become kind of like a meme or like momentum company in a way, right? Um, and also to correct something from the beginning of the show, MSAS, which is the business model it's pursuing, stands for medical screening as a service. So uh, I got tripped up by that earlier. We are full of SAS here on the program. <laughs> yeah. Watching where a stock goes is also sort of like sports. Like uh, I'm a big Boston Celtics fan and they have struggled all season. But if they end up finishing sixth and make it to an NBA final, that would be a successful season. Uh, I read a story this morning judging uh, my brother's team, Tottenham, the the Tottenham Hotspurs, and basically saying that their coach, who's a legendary uh, uh, Jose Marino, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, has traditionally done very well and then burned out. And now he's following that pattern, but he hasn't done very well. He's just burnt out. They're in fifth place. If you get to fourth place, you're in the Champions League. It's not time to judge things yet. And that's very true with these volatile healthcare stocks. If you want to get a question or comment in, we have time for a couple more. We're going to take one from John King uh, that came over Twitter. Not sure this is where to ask. This is absolutely where to ask. You can ask us questions all the time at 7investing on Twitter. But for biotech and healthcare, what are the major themes that look interesting? And where do you see us five to 10 years out if themes play out? Max, I'm going to let you jump in. I'm going to say that wearables is a major theme, that our ability to have data, you're not getting that much data from, say, your your Apple Watch, but I do obsessively follow my heart rate, which is probably a problem because it goes up or down for some very trivial things and you worry about it. But eventually, I don't think we're that far off of getting meaningful medical advice. We've all seen the Gatorade $25 disposable patch that will tell you whether you need to drink more Gatorade. They say it's whether you need hydration. I'm a little skeptic of, of their motives. But I do think we're going to have more of that. We're seeing it at a high-performance athlete level. If you play for a, a pro team, they are analyzing every single thing you need and making sure you're consuming exactly what you need to consume. I think we're going to see that on a people-based level. Max, what trends and themes are you watching? Well, I'm looking forward to the uh, Gatorade-Apple partnership, Dan, uh, coming our <laughs> way. Um, some big themes and trends. I mean, so important to remember, biotech, we use it interchangeably to mean healthcare and biopharmaceuticals. Uh, but that's not the case, right? So I would say in biopharmaceuticals, there's trends like genetic medicines look very promising. Um, and there's going to be multiple winners there as well, right? Gene therapy, we're really navigating a lot of those problems well. Um, things like RNAi, or there's some next generation uh, nucleotide technologies, maybe even CRISPR gene editing, although I think we still have a little bit more obstacles to navigate with that one. Um, so those look promising. Um, some next generation cell therapies look promising. You know, I, I question if we're going to be using CART T cells at all, uh, which is, sounds kind of crazy to say that now. Uh, that was all the rage, you know, uh, within the last 10 years. But I think we're going to transition to natural killer cells, right? So there's a lot of pipelines that are moving that way. Um, and then, again, because biotech doesn't mean biopharma, there's also industrial biotech, which I think is going to pick up here this decade uh, in terms of publicly tradable uh, companies and opportunities. Um, we actually, in the United States, we generate more revenue, Dan, from industrial biotech today than we do from biopharmaceuticals. Um, but there's such a mismatch on the public markets in terms of investable opportunities. So it's, it's kind of interesting, but I think that sets uh, investor expectations in a certain way. But there's a lot of interesting industrial biotech companies that's using microbes to make useful materials or chemicals. Um, and to bring it full circle, Dan, a lot of those will find early success in consumer brands and consumer products. Uh, so whether that's through cosmetics or sometimes it's through like fashion materials and things like that. 
Um, so that's really the ticket to success early on because it's high margin opportunities. You can make partners with like Adidas or Sephora. Uh, you get high margin revenue and you can plow that back into growth for some of these bigger opportunities that require more scale, more investment. Um, so industrial biotech, I want to sleep on that uh, in the next 10 years. I think we're also in the early, early days of changing how we deliver healthcare. We've talked a lot about Teladoc, the company on the show, but telemedicine is really early on. So imagine if it becomes very common that your watch can take a blood pressure reading or, or even provide other data. You might be able to have your annual physical remotely, uh, and maybe you do have to go for a blood draw. Maybe like, like Amazon is doing, a nurse is dispatched and, and weighs you and measures you and takes a blood draw or does other things that are necessary. But I do think we're going to move to a major revolution in how we deliver healthcare. I also think that's going to touch upon health insurance. We're seeing uh, sort of a change in the insurance model, moving to an AI-driven model like Lemonade uses, where you're not going in you know, for medical testing. They're basically you know, saying, okay, where do you fit in among people your age based on height and weight and just a few other factors? And they're using that to predict, hey, should we take this guy's money? How much should we charge? I think you're going to see uh, some sort of similar revolution in healthcare, I don't know anyone that's like, you know what? I love my health insurance. Uh, you know, it's great. That's not true. I know people who work for Microsoft. Uh, I, I, the place we used to work, the employees there have a really good health insurance. It's not universally not true, uh, but generally most people see the flaws. They're looking for change. So I think it's a really interesting time to be alive. And I joke about this. It's also a great time to stay alive. If you can just stay alive for a few more years, you know, we'll all be taking super soldier serum or, or whatever it might be uh, to get us through the next level. We're going to take one more question on our sheet from Twitter from David Strauss. Then Sam Bailey, we're going to take the question on Celsius, a product that's Sort of healthcare is she? Yeah, I don't like that one. Uh, David Strauss says, not a question, but more of an observation. I went to the mall this weekend and it was packed, busier than I have ever seen it before the pandemic. People are wanting to be out and spending. I bring this up. Now, Max, you haven't gone out much. You are still being very, very careful because you are pre-vaccinated. I would say here in Florida, um, yeah, people are out and about. Some of them stupidly. But a lot of people are getting vaccinated, was opened up to all ages as of today. Doesn't mean you have an appointment. Um, and we did, uh, you know, some safe going out this weekend. We ate in restaurants. We And there still are mask mandates, well, maybe not mandates, but the restaurants themselves are requiring masks. Tables were distanced. Uh, my son and I went to a hot pot place. When you went up to get your, your food that you put into the hot soup, you had to put a glove on. You had to sanitize. You had to be wearing your mask. There were distance markers. There were people enforcing it. Malls are kind of one of the, the things people get wrong. There's this idea that mall traffic was massively off before the pandemic. The pandemic killed mall traffic. Heading into the last two weeks before Christmas, top-tier malls were at like 90% or 98% of previous traffic, basically because we needed Christmas presents that we hadn't managed to find online. And now, as it's summer, as more people are vaccinated, as we start to feel like this is ending, yep, you're going to see an absolute rebound effect. But here's what I would say. Don't play that as an investment. What we don't know is, is there pent-up demand? Like People went to see Kong versus Godzilla this weekend. It was the biggest opening since the pandemic. It was like $38 million, I think 54 for the holiday weekend. That's a pretty good opening for that movie, not in a pandemic. But is that because we really want to go to the movies regularly? 
or because we're eager to do something. You're going to see Disney World you know, pop back. You're going to see the cruise lines when they're allowed to cruise out of the U.S. or even the, the cruises like the one I'm doing out of Nassau, which are expensive and selling well. Thank you. I got comped. Um, and this is going to be one of those things where you cannot judge the first few months. Yep. If you haven't out, been out to eat in a year, you might go out to eat twice as often as you normally do for the first couple of months. Max, when you were vaccinated, what are you looking forward to doing? I know you've been out a little bit playing some, uh, some disc golf, and I know you want to get back to playing darts. Is there a restaurant you're excited to go to or a place you want to be? Yeah, right around where I live, there's like new breweries and all kinds of things coming in actually this spring. So I hope it lines up with my, uh, um, vaccination plans anyway. Um, but I'm looking forward to doing that. I can walk to it and stumble home. So I'm looking forward to <laughs> checking all that out this summer. It has felt really nice. So, you know, to, to know that I I've been vaccinated, you know, for a while, my wife and son got their second shot. So they still have sort of that two week period to go, but it does bring some peace of mind. Doesn't mean we're, you know, we're outside licking strangers. Doesn't mean we're, we're going places that are overcrowded. I've absolutely turned away from some stores, some stores I really like, because there were too many people in the store. Uh, so it's not going to be a regular normal for quite a while. It, it takes quite a bit to get people vaccinated uh, at the scale we're trying to do it. But Sam, we'll take that question on Celsius to close out the Q&A here. Uh, Celsius, that is a C-E-L-H is the uh, ticker symbol. An energy company is focusing more on the uh, direct-to-sale model, calling it white glove service to ensure inventory displays are correct, inventory is well-stocked, etc. Here's the problem with it. So Celsius Max, they call their beverage. They basically say it helps you burn calories, that drinking it has a negative net calorie thing. That's not a substantiated claim. That's something that, yes, they've done studies on it, uh, but there, there's no medical evidence of this. So it's a good energy drink. Their cola flavor is tasty. A lot of people like their orange flavor, but they say they're doing that. And so in theory, when, when they first started selling at Publix here in Florida, or at least here in West Palm Beach, you would go and they'd have really nice Celsius displays. It would be all well set up. It was a premium product. Well, it didn't sell that well. And you know where you see Celsius now in Publix? You see it in discount aisles. You see it in all the places next to Coca-Cola. You, you see it on the regular shelf. So yes, if you're Nike and you can command that kind of you know, loyalty, there are a lot of retailers out there that are thinking, I don't want to lose Nike. Uh, there are probably some retailers that lost Nike that shouldn't have that were doing that job. There are some some small companies, but Celsius doesn't have that kind of pull. If Celsius says, I don't want to sell to Publix anymore because they're selling my product two for four dollars because they have too much inventory. Well, then they could say, OK, we'll take the 19th flavor of Red Bull and, you know, the 75th flavor of Monster and six more products from Starbucks. Like, so, yep, I like what Celsius is trying to do. I don't like the medical claims. I like how they're trying to differentiate as an energy brand, I like the product, but you actually do have to succeed with consumers. And I'm not so sure that just having that like well-stocked white labeled thing is necessarily going to work. Max, have you tried a Celsius? No, I have not, but I just looked up their ingredients. So it's like green tea extract, EGCG, which is actually a pretty good ingredient. Um, and then some other things. So, you know, look, when I was a young guy, my earlier twenties, you know, um, I looked into all these different health, I, I used to drink all kinds of stuff, supplements and this and that, right. Oh, I got to get big and swole. Right. Um, like every other 20 year old something. Um, but you know, the reality is most of those claims are not really strong. Like they'll, they'll say like, Oh, we did a study and it was like three mice. And one of them was named Jim. And like, we threw out the other seven studies that didn't corroborate our claims or like, they'll never actually support it in like larger trials or things like that. 
So the science is never really quite great that supports these claims. And it's the supplement industry, so it's not really regulated anyway. So I'd be very cautious um, and definitely be careful what you're putting in your body too. Like these things aren't manufactured at like FDA approved facilities. Uh, you know, who knows what they're making from batch to batch. And um, it's yeah, just be careful when you're drinking all that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I will. I will also <laughs> say I've largely given up energy drinks. So yeah. I decided I'm going to go coffee one time a day. I'm not always caffeinated. I, I have a cold brew decaf maker where I, or it's a cold brew maker that I make decaf in. Um, but I've tried to limit how much caffeine I take in because I don't really need it. As you may have noticed, Max, I'm a pretty high energy guy. Uh, with that being said, I am looking at, are there things I don't eat that I should be eating a little more of? Are there things I'm deficient in? It's why we have the Brazil nuts. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Like there's this thing I've never heard of that might be beneficial for weight loss, which, you know, I spend three days a week at the trainer. I take a long walk, uh, you know, the days I don't do that working pretty hard. So if I could eat something that would make that better, uh, that's important. But, you know, when you see a study that says like, you know, green tea is great for your heart, like it might be somewhat beneficial over the long term. But like if you're eating like a, you know, a bacon sandwich every day, following that up with like a bucket of ice cream, having a green tea at noon is not going to change your health trajectory. That was a health lesson on an investing show. We, are not, <laughs> we didn't intend to go there, but we're going to we're going to go someplace else. Sam Bailey, we are going to climb up on the top rope. We are going to hit our finisher. Post-pandemic, do you think people will return to offices? Overwhelmingly, about 60% said partially. Max, we work remotely. Uh, and Sam, you could take it down. About 33% said yes. I actually think the number is going to be way higher. We're seeing the tech companies already start to say, like, eh, could you come back to the office? Uh, you know, former colleague of ours, uh, Sam, Materius, Sam Materius, switched jobs. Uh, because he wanted to have more flexibility about where he's working. I'm not going to say where he worked or where he does work, but both uh, both big, big tech companies. I actually think we're really overplaying this idea that the office is dead. The five-day office might be dead uh, for a lot of people, but I think the three- or four-day office is, is going to make a roaring comeback. Not for us. We all work remotely. Uh, but Max, your thoughts here. Yeah, I think that's right. I think we'll see maybe changes in like more flexibility, but we're still going to be working at offices. It makes sense to centralize workers and things like that. We're thinking about like New York City or any major city. Um, you know, a lot of those economies are built around, hey, there's a lot of people that live and work here. Um, so people are going to go back to those cities, right? Like all the restaurants and things like that need workers to be in the buildings. We can't just have everybody on the beach or infiltrating Florida where Dan is, you know, because they don't want to live in New York City during a pandemic. They're going to go back eventually. If you'd like to move to Florida, I have a condo for sale. <laughs> Message me. I am at Worst Idea 7. Uh, I don't know why in the hottest housing market ever, my condo is languishing on the market. I do know why. There's nothing else like it out there. Uh, so people aren't necessarily searching using those parameters. It's a really tricky thing. Uh, that being said, I do think there's an investment opportunity here in the, the, the remote working space that nobody really thinks about. We work with people in all different time zones. We, we have Honor Bond in Australia. Uh, Simon and, and, and Sam Bailey are, are two hours difference from us in Texas. Uh, Steve Simonton is two hours difference. Uh, Matt Cochran has a day job. I think there's something that should organize your communication to sort of, uh, you know, correct for time differences. So poor Honor Bond doesn't get up and have nine billion messages from us or Matt doesn't get home from, from work. And there are days like I was in the pool on Saturday 
And I came back, and that was a Saturday of a holiday weekend. And I came back, and I'm like, I don't even know where to start digging in on all of the messages. Uh, if that, if you could integrate Twitter, if you could integrate Slack, all the different things, and sort of figure out a way to prioritize it. Like I know we have a boss. Simon Erickson is our CEO. I'm going to want to check a direct message from Simon or something where he, you know, surfaces it to all of us before I necessarily want to talk to you about Brazil nuts. I think there is a lot of investable <laughs> space uh, coming in the sort of change of work. And it isn't what people think it is. It isn't that offices are dead. It's that there's going to be more flexibility. We appreciate your flexibility. We're going to be back on Wednesday, uh, not only with uh, with Steve Simonton, I believe, but we're going to have a tape segment with Honorbon, our, our first one of those. He'll be joining us live from Australia, where it's 2.30 in the morning during this show, uh, but not always. We're going to do a couple of tape segments with him this week. We are very excited for that. If you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, you can reach us via email, info at seveninvesting.com. That's for questions about our service. You'd like to join, something's wrong, whatever it is. Uh, you know, you got a, a tip for us. It's not really to ask us to work up individual stocks. If you'd like to interact with us live, that's at seven. That's at the number seven investing on Twitter. We're very active on Twitter. We're throwing stuff out there. There are, are deep conversations. Uh, you know, we've had Twitter posts that have had a couple hundred thousand interactions. We appreciate everybody who's watching. Tell your friends about 7investing now. We'll be back Wednesday at noon. For Max Chasco, thank you, Sam Bailey. I am Dan Klein. We'll see you Wednesday. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.